the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Isaiah. Real love is calling, listen, opens up your eyes. How good the intention and no, ma- no matter how wonderful the immediate result our problem is the human heart and that cannot be improved upon by human effort we are tainted and stained and sinful from birth and if we don't recognize this sinful condition and if we just try to placate our sinful condition and we try to do all these other good things to try to make ourselves feel moral we deceive ourselves man is not basically good and man cannot improve his sinful condition through good works. Do you ever feel like something is missing, that no matter what you do, you can't seem to find true happiness or fulfillment? In today's message, Pastor Gary talks about how good works won't give us fulfillment. Only the Lord can. The truth is, we were created with a God-shaped hole in our hearts, and nothing in this world can fill it. Everything in this world will fail us. But God loves us so much that He sent His only Son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins and make a way for us to be reconciled to Him. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Isaiah, chapter 64, as he begins his message, The Truth About the Human Condition. All right, Isaiah chapter 64. If you have your place there now in your Bibles, I'm going to read all of it. It's only 12 verses. This is what it says, verse 1. Oh, that you would rend the heavens, Isaiah says, and come down. This is a prayer to the Lord. That the mountains would tremble before you, as when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil. Come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. And since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear is perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. You come to the help of those who gladly do right, who remember your ways. But when we continue to sin against them, you were angry. How then can we be saved? All of us have become like one who was unclean, and our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind our sins sweep us away. No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and made us waste away because of our sins. Yet, O Lord, you are our Father, We are the clay, you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Do not be angry beyond measure, O Lord. Do not remember our sins forever. 
Oh, look upon us, we pray, for we are all your people. Your sacred cities have become a desert, even Zion a desert, Jerusalem a desolation. Our holy and glorious temple where our fathers praised you has been burned with fire and all that we treasured lies in ruins. And after all this, O Lord, will you hold yourself back? Will you keep silent and punish us beyond measure? Let's pause there once again. Let's just pray for our Bible study today. Lord, as we open up Isaiah 64 now, we pray that you would use this chapter to minister to our hearts. We commit this to you, Lord. We want you to be glorified in our worship and in the studying of your word now. Do your good work in our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. The heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. The Bible in general and this chapter in particular, challenges conventional wisdom about the human condition. And if we don't properly understand the human condition, then we will never really see our desperate need for a Savior. So I want to share with you at the beginning of our Bible study three myths about the human heart that are popular in modern thinking. Now, I call them myths because even though they are popularly held beliefs, uh, they conflict with God's assessment of humanity. Now, if, if you at least are here and would say that you believe in God, if you are at least here believing that much, that you believe in the existence of God, maybe you haven't sorted out everything about the Bible, about Jesus, but at least if you're here today saying, I do believe that God exists, then you have to also believe that he knows better than you and I do. And if you do truly believe that he exists and therefore he's bigger and greater and knows more and is smarter than you and I, then I hope that each person here is willing to acknowledge that. God is smarter than I am. God is smarter than I am. 1 Corinthians 3.18, Paul warns, don't be deceived into thinking that you are wise by the standards of this age. And in the next verse, 1 Corinthians 3.19, it says, for the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. In other words, Man on his best day, trying to be the smartest he can be, doesn't even come close to the wisdom of God. And so when I say three myths that we're going to talk about, it's because though these are popular conventional ideas, they are in conflict with the Word of God, and God is smarter and wiser. So we need to understand that the conventional thinking is really the wise in man's eyes, foolishness in the eyes of God. So three myths first about the human condition, and here's myth number one. Man is basically good. Man is basically good. It's a myth. Melody Beatty, author of the bestseller Codependent No More, it's a book that she wrote more than 30 years ago says that, quote, we suffer from that vague but penetrating affliction called low self-worth. And she suggests that we stop torturing ourselves and try to raise our view of ourselves. And so how do we do that? Well, she says in her book, quote, right now, 
we can give ourselves a big emotional and mental hug. We are okay. It's wonderful to be who we are. Our thoughts are okay. Our feelings are appropriate. We're right where we're supposed to be today, this moment. There is nothing wrong with us. There is nothing fundamentally wrong with us, end quote. And this is the kind of thing that a lot of people believe. You know, I was reading her quote, and I was thinking, our thoughts are okay, not mine. Our feelings are appropriate, not mine. There's nothing wrong with us. There's a lot wrong with me. There is nothing fundamentally wrong with us, she says there in her book, end quote. Now, Beatty, by her own testimony, says that she began drinking at age 11 and was a drop-down drunk alcoholic by age 12. And so she writes this book as a self-help book because she's writing out of personal pain, and she's trying to coach people and coach herself out of a bad mindset concerning self. Her answer is, not bad self in need of a savior, but good self in need of a pep talk. And this is the pervasive thinking of our society, that what we need is a good dose of self-esteem, that there's nothing fundamentally wrong with us, Nothing fundamentally wrong with the human race. Just some who went off the rails and went the way of evil. Osama bin Laden, Hitler, Genghis Khan, Idi Amin, and of course anyone who has wronged you, right? Those are all the ones who have gone the way of evil. But otherwise, that man is basically good. This is the myth that our culture believes, but this is not what the Bible teaches. Now, clearly, there are some people who are more destructive in their behavior, more brutal in their behavior, more unrestrained in their wickedness. But the Bible describes all of humanity as being sinful. All of us. Romans 3.10, the Bible says, There is none righteous, no, not one. A couple verses later, Romans 3.12, it says, There is no one who does good. Not even one. David would write his own story in Psalm 51, verse 5, when he would say, Surely I was sinful from birth from the time I was conceived in my mother's womb. He understands sin nature is something we're born with. Sin nature is something we act upon. Paul would write in Romans 7, verse 18, he would say, I know that in me, that is in my flesh, in my sinful nature, there dwells no good thing. Mankind is fundamentally flawed and sinful from birth. And unless you understand that, then you will never receive the remedy for that. And instead, what you will tend to do is what the world tends to do, who believes myth number one, is that you will constantly be trying to improve your condition that cannot be improved upon by human effort. Which leads to myth number two, that man can improve his condition through good deeds. And I'm going to tread out here into an area where angels fear, fear to tread, but I think this is an important thing that needs to be said concerning some of the dynamics of our culture these days, because it's a very trendy thing in our culture right now to try to improve 
oneself and others through social justice. And particularly among millennials, they thrive on the idea of the more I do to better other people, the better I am as a person. I'm talking about social justice issues like, you know, clean water initiatives and sex trafficking and AIDS relief and eradicating world hunger. Now, now let, now let me be clear as I tread into this area that social justice can be a very good thing. Where we see oppression and suffering and mistreatment of others, it should motivate us to do something to help them. In fact, Isaiah opens up the book of Isaiah with a strong exhortation to God's people to make sure that you take care of people who are oppressed or mistreated. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 17, he says, learn to do right, seek justice, encourage the oppressed, defend the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. So the Bible exhorts us to relieve human suffering when we can, where we can. What I'm talking about is how oftentimes the motivation for social causes, at least among non-Christians, is often an attempt to feel better about one's sinful condition by doing good for others. This is how it often works. In other words, without God in the equation, just talking purely from the standpoint of just you know taking up a cause and, and doing something good, Without God in the equation, some people are subconsciously trying to assuage the guilt of their own sinful condition by engaging in social causes, which will, in the process, of course, help others, which is a good thing, but which in the process will also give this false sense of intrinsic good to those who are doing the helping. And they will believe the idea that, quote, I'm a morally good person because I'm doing morally good things. There's actually a term for this. It's called moralistic therapeutic deism. You can write it down. Moralistic therapeutic deism. It was a term that was first coined by sociologists Christian Smith and Melinda Lundquist Denton, who wrote a book in 2005 entitled Soul Searching the Religious and Spiritual Lives of American Teenagers. And it's the idea, this moralistic therapeutic deism, it's the idea that it's therapeutic to do good moral things and that it actually becomes a form of religion, deism, to help oneself feel better about one's own immoral condition. So everybody get the idea? It's like if I do something morally good, it helps to compensate for my immoral condition, which isn't really true, but it gives us that false sense of that feeling. And the authors say, the sociologists mentioned in this book, the authors say that the system is, quote, moralistic because it, quote, is about inculcating a moralistic approach to life. It teaches that central to living a good and happy life is being a good moral person. Now, again, I want to emphasize here that all those causes can be wonderful. And if those causes are done in the name of Jesus for the purpose of providing immediate relief and eternal hope through the gospel of Jesus Christ, then that's the perfect marriage. 
the idea of helping others in the cause of social justice, if it's married with the gospel of Jesus Christ, then it's the perfect combination. Because now you're not only giving something temporary relief from their suffering, but you're also giving them eternal hope through the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And absent the reality of the gospel, then social causes give temporary relief, but not eternal significance to those being helped. And those who are doing the helping then believe this deception that by being such a morally good person and, and engaging in all these wonderfully morally good causes, I am a morally good person. That isn't true. And, and it's a deception of our culture. I'm all about giving the cup of cold water in Jesus' name. I'm all about that. But the question is, is the gospel tied to causes of social justice? We cannot improve our, social con- our, our sinful condition no matter what good that we do. Because our sinful condition is an underlying issue that cannot be improved upon by human effort. No matter how good the intention, and no matter how wonderful the immediate result, our problem is the human heart, and that cannot be improved upon by human effort. We are tainted and stained and sinful from birth. And if we don't recognize this sinful condition, and we just try to placate our sinful condition, and we try to do all these other good things to try to make ourselves feel moral, we deceive ourselves. Man is not basically good, and man cannot improve his sinful condition through good works. You know, years ago, I was looking up at my house, you know, and it's, it's a beautiful thing to be a homeowner, but it can also be kind of a burdensome thing from time to time, and you have to do repair work. So I'm looking up at the gutters of my house, and the gutters are starting to hang off, and, and, and the boards, the soffits underneath that the gutters are connected to were all, were all rotten. So I decided I could either you know, get up there, pull all the gutters off, start painting, you know, remove all the rotten wood, or I can, I can call somebody and have them wrapped in vinyl. So I had this guy come out, and he says, oh, yeah, Mr. Andrew, we can, wrap, we can wrap all that in vinyl. I said, well, you know, a lot of it's rotten. He said, that's all right. Once we wrap it, you'll never know, and it won't disintegrate any further. I just thought, well, that's kind of like the human heart, isn't it? You know, I'm rotten to the core, but just go ahead and wrap me up, look, make me look good. But it doesn't really change the interior condition, though. Still rotten. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 23, 28, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Number three, the third myth that our culture believes it's that God grades on the curve. <laughs> Some people think that it's about a ranking system with God. That as long as I'm not as bad as the next guy, I'll get a good grade with God. There's some people who actually think that they will get to heaven based on how they do compared to others. You know, it's, it's only about being just a step ahead, about a, a, you know, beyond other people. That's the concept that some people have. It's like the old joke I'm sure many of you heard before about the two guys who were hiking in the woods, and they came upon a bear. And so well, as soon as they saw the bear, they started running for their lives. Well, one of the hikers decided to stop real quick, change, change his shoes, get rid of the hiking boots, put on his running shoes. And his friend said to him, what in the world are you doing? You can't outrun a bear. He says, I don't need to outrun a bear. I just need to be able to outrun you. I mean, that, that's kind of the idea. It's like, well, you know, I, I, all I need to do is be better, a little bit better than you, and then I'm good to go. You know, you might suffer a horrible fate, but as long as I can outpace you, as long as I'm a little bit better than you, then I'm good to go. 
But the standard is not how you measure up against other people. The standard is how you measure up against Christ. And we all fall woefully short. You know, white sheep in a pasture can look beautiful against a green field. But you add snow on that green field, and now all of a sudden, white sheep against the backdrop of snow look dirty. You you might look pretty good in a crowd of people. You know, as far as like how you are as a person. But when Jesus is the backdrop, we all look a little dirty. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us do not measure up to the perfect standard of God. So these are some myths that people believe about the human condition. Now let's take a look at how God assesses humanity. If you have your Bible still open there to Isaiah 64, look at verse 6 with me. Because in verse 6, Isaiah, really this is God speaking through Isaiah, makes four comparisons about the human condition to other things. These are four similes because he's going to use the word like four times right here in verse 6. He says, all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep over us. So he's going to give us four truths about our condition. This is important. Okay, At first, when we go through this list, you're going to feel really depressed, like, thanks, Pastor Debbie Downer. You know, I, I really like coming to... But, but hold on, because there's a beautiful response to all of this, but we, we need to... Listen, you know, have you ever been to a doctor's office and you didn't like to hear the diagnosis, but you knew that if the diagnosis is given to me truthfully and honestly, then there might be a remedy for my cure? And we don't like to hear the diagnosis. Uh, we wish we'd never hear the diagnosis. But in order to get the proper cure, the proper remedy, we have to properly evaluate the condition. And so Isaiah is going to help us to understand the human condition. Our culture and our world paints a very different picture, but it's not reality. And if you really want the cure, you have to understand the reality. And here's the assessment from God, four different truths. Number one, he says, we are like one who is unclean. That's the first comparison. Now, in the Old Testament, certain animals, certain actions, and certain conditions were considered unclean in Old Testament times, meaning that they were not accepted by God because of a designation or a defect. For example, certain animals were considered unclean, like pigs were considered unclean. Certain actions, like touching a dead person in the Old Testament, was considered unclean for a living person. Don't touch a dead person. And certain people, certain illnesses, like leprosy, uh, made a person in the Old Testament unclean. In fact, if you had leprosy, uh, you had to announce yourself by shouting, unclean, unclean, wherever you went so that other people could take fair warning and not be contaminated with your uncleanness. So we see that in Scripture. And so when Isaiah says, hey, we're all like one who was unclean, whether he's talking about unclean animals or unclean actions or unclean you know, illnesses, the idea here is that our sinful condition makes us unworthy and unpresentable to God. We're like outcasts. We're like outcasts. 
Our, our condition makes us unworthy and unpresentable. That's all we have for today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. If you'd like to listen to this message again in Isaiah, or if you'd like to explore other messages from Pastor Gary, just visit our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. You can also download our mobile app to stay connected to the truth of God's Word everywhere you go. You'll find a link at our website along with more information about the church behind this ministry, Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. If you're in the area, we'd love to meet you. Come visit us. You'll find service times and more information about Cornerstone Chapel at cornerstoneconnection.cc. Is there anything happening in your life right now that we could be praying for? We'd be honored to do that for you. So please let us know. We love that we can interact with our listeners. Just send us a quick email and we'll get back to you soon. That email address is prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. With that, our time with you has come to an end for today. So put a marker where we left off in Isaiah and make plans to join Pastor Gary next time. Thanks again for listening to today's teaching right here on Cornerstone Connection. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.